This is um, UN50. My name is BJ Council, and welcome back. And today we have actually my neighbors, uh, Leslie and Maya. Um, they're going to be talking about their biracial couple, and we kind of want to have a discussion about this moment uh, for them uh, from their perspective and raising a daughter uh, during this time. So, as per usual, just a reintroduction of uh, my co host, so uh, Harmony. Every time you call on me, I get equally as flustered about what to say, even though I generally say the same things every time, but um, <laughs> hey all, my name is Harmony. I am a 24-year-old living in Durham, North Carolina, um, committed to radical love and kindness as, as advocacy. Um, I'm a social worker by profession, and I'm currently a fundraising fellow for the Southeast Climate and Energy Network. Thanks, Harmony. Drew, and you're my favorite nephew because what? because I'm the only nephew. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Drew or Andrew. I'm a current student at UNC Greensboro. I'm a writer. I'm also just trying to stay alive. And he always says that. So uh, one of the first things I just want to talk about is some events that um, have been going on across the country um, with uh, individuals being, you know, 911 calls coming on black bodies simply because they're doing you know, barbecue or walking in Central Park and stuff like that. So I just kind of wanted to just hear from you guys, Andrew and Harmony first as to how you kind of feel about that, you know, people just dialing 911 and, and calling on police, interacting with black folks simply because they're just doing what they do, just going about their normal routines. Any comments on that? Um, I think it's absolutely bogus. Uh, as adults, we don't have the communication skills to go up to somebody and say, hey, what you're doing is offensive to me, or it's bothering me, or it's unsafe, it's putting somebody in harm's way. But also, I feel like a lot of those um, a lot of those standards aren't met and people are just calling the police because it's an easy way out and because they're annoyed. And I think that there need to be harsher penalties for people that think that 911 is a, is a petty way to, to, to get somebody to disperse. Andrew? Some cities are giving other resources to citizens to, to not call 911 because we've seen in multiple instances, for example, the Elijah McLean um, story or the incident that happened with him that I believe if you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the person who called 911 on him said that there was no danger present. Um, but they still called 911. So I felt like there was something else that this person could have done instead of calling 911. But um, it makes me upset to think that that's the, the first thing that goes to people's heads. Yeah. And I think Harmony, we talked about it before, is like more screening possibly at the 911 because just walking into down the street doesn't necessitate something is, is wrong. I mean, I'm the only black person who lives on my street. Maya was behind me, but I'm the only one on my street. If I have break-ins, I think the communication and the first interaction would be uh, then they, the person walking on the street doesn't know there's been a break-in. There's been several break-ins in my community. There's no way that they would know that. And they also would know that I've got really old people on my street who probably are nervous from a break-in. So what, so what we would hope is that we have an officer that understands what's going on in my community. So when he interacts or she interacts with a person on my street, is able to say, uh, you may not be aware of that, but there, there's been some break-ins here. And people are calling, not necessarily because you're black and on the street, but because there have been particular crimes and you're not familiar with them. I mean, really, I think it depends on that initial interaction as to how they communicate 
that instead of just coming off, well, you know, what you're doing on the street, instead of going, there have been some break-ins in this community. So we just need to, and this is what we, you know, somebody called, could we see your ID, and then just keep it moving, and then hopefully the person they interact with, um, you know, is, is reasonable and, and understands that we're just not talking to you because of X, Y, Z. So I think it's a fitting issue conversation. So um, Leslie and, and Myra, last year, I think it was last year. Was it last year, Leslie? That it's been 12 months ago, but I think it was it was 2019. 2019, yeah, okay. And there was an incident, uh, there was a vehicle chase. I think it was a vehicle chase and the, and the car ended up being stopped near our area, right, right near your intersection, right behind my house. And Maya wanted to go out and check on the neighbor who was an elderly lady across the street. But you and your daughter said, no, you didn't want him to go out because you were concerned for his safety because he's a black male and you didn't want him to get possibly stopped or be mistaken for possibly the bad guy. Is that, am I kind of condensing that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that's kind of the springboard because I know I had said something about talking to you guys about that because when you said that, I was like, oh my God, you know, how, how is that, you know, for, for the dynamic in your family to deal with that? So t tell me, let's just talk about that incident for just a minute, you know, with you and your daughter having it. And you, you were the one that came out of the house. You, you're the one that, that did it because you're a white female and you're like, well, I got to go do it because I don't want my black husband to come out because he might get stopped by the popo. So let's yeah. talk about that for a minute. You want to kick it off? <laughs> sure. Um, I think it's really um, just something that I think is, uh, it didn't even occur to me uh, that, that, that I was in that danger before it occurred to me that our neighbor uh, might need help. So um, you react as you would as a human being, which is to render um, service or help. Uh, and then uh, someone else has to point out to you that you actually have to think about that. Uh, and that's when you remember, oh yeah, <laughs> um, this, is, this is the society I'm in. So, yeah. I think that Maya's last part of what he just said um, is really significant. He did not grow up in the United States, um, grew up in Nigeria with, you know, very different dynamics, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess, <laughs> His worry about our neighbor maybe is in parallel my worry about him in that moment. Not that I wasn't, um, you know, didn't have care for our neighbor as well. But, um, but BJ, when you wrote about this, when kind of proposing that we be on the podcast, the way you framed it also is really um, enlightening to me in that in that moment i was like hemming him in for his you know natural humanistic impulses and that just is so <clears throat> expletive -y. uh 
you know, that's just, uh, I, I hate that. Um, but yeah, genuinely, and I'm, I'm much more of a scaredy cat. And I also recognize like I implicated you in this. Um, so, you know, just all sorts of, of not awesome scenario, but um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess we, you know, we just kind of, how, how difficult, you know, to navigate that. I mean, I hear Maya was saying, you know, I didn't even think about it. I was just going to do it. And then you kind of had to remind him that you're black. You can't do that. You know, so, I mean, what, what, what is that, what is that dynamic that having to be able to say, we'll slow you roll, bro, you black. You can't do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's powerful. I mean, that has to have some impact on just, you know, you physically and mentally. I mean, what is, I mean, what is that about? I mean, how does it feel for you guys? Well, I think it's um, really most difficult in the context of having a child uh, who's brown uh, and just really uh, against my um, what's my typical answer to that question of what's the meaning of life. I usually think that uh, the meaning for me, that the meaning of life is that um, whether it's yours or not, there will be uh, future generations uh, after you. And so you're supposed to make the world uh, not worse, but hopefully better. And um, she didn't have a choice in coming into this world. And I just feel um, like more of a failure for not, uh, for, for bringing her into a world where she will have to deal with that. Um, I really think that there's a sense of personal and communal failure that I feel when I hear about, or when I, when I think about these kinds of situations. So that's um, really, it, it's, it's really not the concern about me as it is as much as it is uh, uh, for for my child and future generations. You think that's cultural, Milo, because you're from Nigeria. You think you know because of you know you just come from a whole you come from just a whole different world. You think that's the space because it's cultural. I mean, you just you're in America, right? And so this is kind of the way Black folks have always dealt with stuff you know when it comes to black bodies you think that's part of it you know you know where your where your journey comes from i've i've heard my um my parents uh, when my dad was alive and my mom till today um speak or lament about how they feel that they had because of of corruption and um, economic, uh, lack of economic opportunity uh, for a lot of people in Nigeria. Uh, granted, there's a lot of good, uh, but because of the many struggles that most um, Nigerians have, my parents have talked about 
feeling like they've failed future generations. Um, and so I think that there's a sort of universality about it um, that you, it, it, each society might have uh, places where it can be better. Uh, and I think that to me, um, the single, uh, I, I, I think the single most glaring uh, failure uh, in this country is uh, the inequality. Mm. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. You guys got any questions or harmony, anything? Um, so my question for you guys was, how have you talked to your daughter um, about things like police brutality and the reality of being brown, but also, you know, being white as well? What was that conversation like for you guys? I would say it's ongoing and <laughs> imperfect and um, I would say over the last few years, I've found that when, at least I'll speak for myself and my attempts at having conversations, it's like, a, you know, I don't want to talk about this kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. So I've, I'm more tentative than when she was younger because I want to, I want to respect her, you know, clear kind of sense of boundary setting while at the same time it's super important and I want to help her to contextualize what she's hearing. Um, for me, it's really this, I have strived for a balance of um, being real from as, as well as I can be. And also, um, well, I shouldn't, I mean, it's real in so many different ways, but like for her to understand, we live in an unjust society, historically grounded as that. Um, and I really want her to understand that people have always fought against that and worked in solidarity. And like, I just, that balance I think is important. I don't know if it's a true balance, <laughs> but in other words, there is a countervailing force and there are people who, you know, stand together and say, this is wrong. And for her to understand that res resistance is um, part of our history and our present and future as well. So um, I could say a lot more, I think, but I don't want to get <laughs> No, I love that. I think that that's so important as a parent. I'm not a parent, um, but I imagine that if I have children, I want them to be hopeful about the future, but I also want them to be realistic about, you know, the state of, of our world. Um, so yeah, that's really impactful. And I think it's beautiful that you, you want to respect those boundaries while also being real, but also, you know, counteracting that negativity with, with hope. My aspiration. <laughs> it sounds like you're doing a great job. You're very kind. <laughs> so, so how, so how is it? I mean, with everything that's on TV and all the stuff that's going on, I mean, I know, you know how are you handling? Because I know she's seeing it, and, and how are you guys handling it as you move through this moment? Because I mean, it's just, I, we talked a couple or a couple of uh, podcasts ago that Chris and I were struggling. 
with this with this stuff, you know. And and you guys know this is this is what I do. So I mentioned that we're kind of seeking counseling now because she's struggling because she has this concern that she doesn't want to be seen as a crying white person, mm-hmm. you know. And and knowing that the issue is is more about black bodies right now. So she's like, you know, where, where do I fit in that? And and in this you know biracial relationship, not for me to view her as a white female when what do you you know what are you all upset about this is about black bodies and i don't look at her like that so just just as this by our relationship is it's having an impact and i never really expected it to so i don't know whether that's something that's happening with you guys not that you know i don't want anything to happen between y'all as a relationship but i'm just saying it's just that that dynamic has now entered this relationship because we are a biracial couple hmm. And it may not for you, you know, but that's just where, where we are. Um, and, it may, and it may be because of the work that I do, because I'm constantly looking at this stuff. I'm constantly talking about this stuff. And so I, I bring a lot of this into the relationship because of the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just it's a lot. So how are you guys just basically handling this moment? Well, I... Um, I... Re- I think back to a friend of mine uh, in early in President Obama's first term, who um, I I was talking to and I uh, mentioned President Obama in the context of being a black president. And he was ready for an argument because he said, why are you calling him black? He's biracial. And, And I say, uh, I said to him what I say to Hadiva now, that in this society, you're brown, you're black, okay? It doesn't matter if you're not, quote, lily white, uh, the society will see you as black and brown and treat you the way that this society treats people who are black and brown. So. Uh, just don't get, don't have any fantasies that you're going to be cut a break um, in any because somebody will think that um, you're part white. Uh, yeah, so that's one way uh, that I think we're, or I'm addressing this time with her is that she has a big stake in this. And also, um, I think um, teaching her or telling her, urging her to, and her mom is too, to fight, um, to not shy away from the debate of the day, the year, the decade, the century, the history of this country. It's, it, there's nothing to me uh, more, um, more significant about this country. Uh, I, to me, I don't care how many so-called explorers or inventors uh, who are white or how much history there is that all the diversity in this country, this country number one to me identity is that it is 
uh, of a racist character significantly. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's huge. It's like oh, a mouthful. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that's a mouthful, true. but the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and can't deny it. I mean, like people will just just don't want to accept the history. They just will not accept the history. Drew, you got anything? I keep thinking back to a statement that Leslie said at the beginning um, about how um, she kind of had to put a pause on her partner's like humanness because of um, because of his race and his skin tone. And I think that kind of that just sticks out with me about how um, I guess how your daughter would have to do just in life throughout her whole life, just in general, um, and have to. It, it's saddening actually think that we have to do that as humans, just to put a pause on what we want to do as human beings and help and to be compassionate and to be empathetic, but we had to put a pause on it just because of us and skin tone. That I'm always gonna have that in my brain, I think. <laughs> I mean I think it's something that I'd want to question as well. I mean, but it just shows that rock in a hard place. I mean I don't really want to go through the rest of my life thinking there is a rock in a hard place. There's gotta be a way to like sledgehammer. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. So, so when, when you, you know, how, I don't know, I guess for me, just trying to figure out when you're in that space and someone, you know, is just being racist or they're making comments. I mean, how, how do you guys deal with that? I mean, how, is that something you address or you just kind of, you know, just, just kind of move through that, through that space? How is that for, you know, making sure that, you know, that you're true to yourself, you know, knowing, you know, you're, you're in a biracial couple and, you know, you just trying to make sure everybody respects that, you know what I'm saying? So how, how is that for you guys? You know, we, I think, are really fortunate to live here. <laughs> yes. Um, so there's the bubble factor. Yeah. Um, I, I think I have a few and this may be because of my own positionality in the world too but i have few examples of anything overt and i'm with my family um and when i'm not i'm passing as you know accepting of the world order right which yeah. i really which troubles me um, uh, um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know if some certain things come to mind. I think of a funny situation in Texas, <laughs> which is sort of, do you know what I'm talking about? In line for the barbecue. No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so we used to live in Texas and we were, um, camping, uh, in like a less populated what we think of as less populated area. And we went to this barbecue place and we heard mumbling behind us like biracial couple. And, oh. we, were, and we turned around and it was a, a biracial couple or a multi, you know, a mixed race couple. <laughs> so like they were, you know, <laughs> because they were happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I swear, I don't know if y'all have this experience, but as a black person, if I ever see another black person like out in nature because I enjoy being outside, I'm like, all right, 
my people, my people. You know what I mean? It feels good not to be alone. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Start waving at him, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. I mean, I just, I don't know. I guess, uh, you know, Myla, so as far as, you know, what, 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 what do you do? I mean, what kind of work do you do? Tell me a little bit about that. I'm an architect, uh, and um, I think I started out sort of traditionally going to uh, college, undergrad, and grad, both for architecture, um, and then working the first almost couple of decades, the traditional way of designing and observing construction and oh, well. all that kind of stuff. But now I've sort of moved... Uh, um, significantly away from that, but I'm still in the world of managing um, like a campus uh, sort of infrastructure system, which is everything from the engineering heavy stuff to the buildings. Uh, okay. So I don't sit down with clients and think about designs of buildings anymore. I think about the nuts and bolts, what's leaking, what's oh, okay. clogged, uh, <laughs> what okay. needs to get a new roof, things like that. Okay, yeah. okay. So um, I, I, I need to call you then. So that just the money, <laughs> where the dollars have to go to fix okay. those things. Okay, cool. And what do you do, Leslie? I work at a large health institution in town. Okay. <laughs> um, I work in population health, um, but in kind of like a healthcare administration, I guess you could say. Um, but my background is, um, you know, in, I, I hark back to the days when I worked in the nonprofit sector. I worked in youth development and um, that's really kind of, I guess that type of work is is where my gut and my heart and my soul are all entangled. So where I can bring those pieces of me to where I am now is meaningful. Yeah. yeah cool. She wouldn't say it, but uh, so her uh, undergrad degrees are in one is in archaeology and the other one it. and the other one is <laughs> in African and African American studies. Oh, and, wow. uh, she went to grad school in anthropology. Whoa. So, yeah. Wow. I've learned awesome. a lot from her. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Always about love. So let me ask you one of the quick the things, some of the topics that are going on right now is about defunding police, abolish police. So where, where are you guys on, on those types of discussions? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so it sounds like both of you have an opinion on that one. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I'll just let it be known that I am absolutely 100% for that. I, 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 this, this is America, you hit people in the pocketbooks, like they say. And uh, I think when they don't have, uh, when, when those who have ill intentions don't have the money, um, uh, they, that's usually the thing that forces a lot of people to behave better in this country. Is my view. Um, it, I would say that whole kind of conversation resonates strongly with me. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I absolutely um, makes perfect sense to me 
the reduction in funding, the scaling back of resources, the demilitarization of police, um, all of that. As far as complete abolition, I don't think I fully like have explored that in my own head. Um, I'm sympathetic to the idea of like overturning systems. So, um, but then when I think about like, okay, what is that in, in real like practical terms? Cause I'm also a pragmatist and I'm like, okay. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, we have had a period during COVID where police are not apt to, you know, answer all of their calls. Well, and I've heard that, you know, the kind of crime statistics are going down. We know that the police murdering black people is not going down. Because, um, you know, that's obviously a crime. Um, but, you know, at the beginning of our conversation, we were talking a little bit about having other means to address things in our community. and. I was reminded of a time three or five years ago where we're driving at night on um, the little highway with all the stoplights and there was a man walking against traffic kind of not on the side of the road like he was in danger wow. and all I knew to do was call 911 mm -hmm. at the same time I know that that could mean that he was less safe. And that's more in hindsight that I thought, I think about it in those terms, but like, yeah. what else do we have there? I absolutely think that the breadth of supposed expertise is not right. I mean, there shouldn't be police addressing a mental health crisis um, and any number of other things. Um, and I, you know, I like the model of like police not having guns. Um, I'm really anti-gun in every way. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't, I really, that's, I think the abolition question is something I haven't, I think I'm a little shy about that to be very honest, but I'm very for restriction for sure. I think um i i think that there's a when i think about defunding the police i don't imagine the police not existing right. uh, i th i think it is the opportunity that it presents for a rethink that 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 i'm interested in um if 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 the police have uh less of a budget than what they um typically have which some would say um, is probably just not um, evenly distributed there. Um, uh, so maybe there'll be just some thoughtfulness about whether you really need to buy um, armored vehicles um, uh, versus more community building uh, sort of things. And just let's force that conversation by by reducing the budget and see where uh, where things lead. That's my thought. Okay. You guys got any comments? You know, we've, we've been down this conversation before and we've had some opinions. So I'll, 
I'll defer to the youngers in the room first before I, I chime in. You guys got any comment? Um, I mean, I think that I echo the same sentiments as you guys of, you know, definitely thinking that we need to move beyond this corrupt system that was built off of slavery. Um, I think it's a lot more doable than people make it out to seem. Um, we just have to be creative and be bold and brave and in this thought process, right? I think that for, for us in America, this is so radical and seems so bold and scary just because we've never been able to imagine a society that, you know, is able to kind of be self-correcting. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm all for it. Um, we've seen where it works well in other countries. Um, and I think that by defunding the police and really what that is, is allocating resources elsewhere, you're also able to, to do a better job of protecting police who are going into these situations um, uneducated and ignorant to certain mental health things, and they might end up killing somebody. And I don't imagine that anybody, you know, joins the police force to sign up to kill somebody, especially if they're mentally ill. So I think that there are a lot of ways that we can do a, a better job of protecting officers by making sure that those who are well equipped to handle those situations are in position to do so. Mm -hmm. Alice is going to echo what Harmony said. And I've talked about a lot in our previous episodes about allocating resources. And you educated me about how, you know, different parts of city and state, what money goes to where. So um, I think it's important to, that police officers as well as citizens just educate themselves about where the money is going so that we can vote and we can do things to make sure that the money is going in the right place. Right. Yeah. 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 And, I, and, I, yeah. and I think for me, because obviously I used to be the popo, uh, just trying to understand that, uh, what we talked about in a previous with Steve Chalmers, the retired police chief, is basically if we have these other resources held accountable, like county government uh, is a, it's where all the soft services are. That's where your social service, that's where your mental health, that's where your, you know, all, all that is there. So don't, that's the group that needs to be funded. And once those individuals are funded in order to take care of the homeless guy that's always at the corner of Roxborough and Cornwallis, you know, that's in the back of the police car, but I don't have anywhere to take him. And the only tool I have as law enforcement is to take him to jail. And so we've got to figure out as a community, okay, well, maybe we need to have a space for the police officer to take this homeless guy because just running him off this property, he ain't had nowhere to go. So we got to figure out, we can't arrest ourselves out of homelessness. We can't arrest ourselves out of mental health. So instead of Defunding police in the way Steve said it was basically it will happen naturally if these other groups step, start doing what they're supposed to do. If social, social services starts handling these individuals that need mental health, starts doing what they're supposed to do, then that means that I, as a police officer, I don't have to worry about the guy at the corner anymore because now he's getting help for his mental illness. He's getting, he has somewhere to live. He's on his medication. And that's a call I ain't got to answer no more because I didn't want to answer in the beginning. So, um, and we also have to just keep in mind that for Durham, and like you said, Leslie, we're kind of in a bubble. We demilitarized ages ago. I mean, we stopped buying a bunch of military stuff. There's some things that you just need because there's some things that are going to happen. But we kind of backed off of that for Durham PD ages ago um, because we're just, Durham is just different. Um, but some communities believe in, you know, they got to have all the bells and whistles and all that kind of stuff. So defunding for me, and I like the way Steve put it, that if the rest of society, these, that those rest of these society ills do their job, 
then the need for police is going to be, be the less money will need to be spent on them having to answer these calls is like harmony keeps saying we don't have to respond to mental health we got to figure out who can do that without us so yeah that's kind of where, where i am on now this. bj you know i'm gonna have to say something about the, the rest of society doing their jobs <laughs> i think that i think that social workers uh are doing beyond their jobs but again yes. that's why it's reallocating resources right so mm -hmm. this is why i am all about abolishing the system of, of modern day policing because modern day policing says that we have police officers that are pious and good and care about protecting folks which is sometimes true but they have this ability to, to, to really affect your freedom. Um, and it's not people that are trained, I think, well, most of the time on de-escalation. These aren't people that have, you know, the, the skill set or even just the education, really, to be able to respond to some of these calls that don't necessarily need police involvement, that don't necessarily require force. But again, we got we to gotta be able to pay these folks. Mm -hmm. I think the thing about, like, you know, social work specifically is one how little social workers are paid to the the lack of really incentive and resources for them to even be able to access other therapists or go to the yeah. doctor when they don't feel well um so you know i just had to i had to come on on the record hard <laughs> for my fellow social workers because there are a lot of good people doing good work yeah. i think on both sides but again it's it's how we attribute value um, as, a as a society, which is why a lot of the funding goes towards putting people in private prisons as a way to generate money um, and as modern day slavery. And two, you know, really holding folks who, who allocate budget accountable. Mm -hmm. I think that that's why the Other America movement right now is so poignant. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, this group, but they're actually camping out outside of the Durham Police Department saying that, you know, Mayor Steve Shul, we want more money for our black communities and in these food deserts. We, we don't we don't want you to continue funding police. Um, and I think that as we, you know, because we talked about community like reparations in the podcast before that, I think in order to really set the precedent for that, we have to listen to community members about what their needs are in their communities. Because like Steve said, most people are not going to say crime. They're going to say that people are hungry. There are carbon monoxide leaks at at um, McDougal Terrace, our kids are being kicked off a of free and reduced lunch. We don't know how we're going to keep the, the power on this month. Um, so I think a lot of the responsibility for reparations is for those of us who are affluent or are in power or see ourselves kind of removed from that situation, start actually listening to community members about what they say is necessary in order for those communities to thrive. Because clearly policing is not changing the projects. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, Harmony is my radical person. <laughs> not radical, but you know, she, I mean, and, and, I, and you correct, I appreciate you correct, because I wasn't saying that they, they needed to do their work. I sh what I was trying, I should have said was, I mean, you can't have a social worker carrying 50 cases in order to, to do something. And, and so that's actually, that's the issue. You just got to hire more individuals to, to, to be able to, to, to focus on individuals, to be able to actually make a difference. But social workers are overworked. Mental health folks are overworked. And so it, it's going to have to follow the dollar because it, it, it's, uh, you got to pay for it. If you want mm -hmm. this thing to work, you're going to have to pay for it. So, uh, yeah, so so my apologies to you, Miss Social Worker. I no, I, I knew I knew BJ. <laughs> I knew that wasn't what you meant. Um, 
what you meant, but I yes. felt like, you know, we had to, to clear the record, as they say, before this went live, and they're like, oh my God, she's anti-social worker. Um, but <laughs> so I, just, I just wanted to clear that up. Um, but yeah, BJ, like you said, you got you to gotta follow the dollar. And then, you know, many guests have said, like, that is, that's where you got to go. Hit him, hit him where it hurts, which is in the pocketbook. And I, you know, I know that we've not really talked about this, but maybe this is something that we can explore in further episodes, but private prisons and for-profit prisons. Like, I think once we start addressing what is making these folks so much money, the quicker we can progress the conversation around police brutality and mass incarceration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys got, um, what about, is your, I, I want to get back to you, Dora, just so I ask, is she wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts? No. no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just, I just thought I'd ask, I just thought I'd ask, see how, how, she, how she was doing. Yeah. yeah. How old is your daughter? Hey, she's, she's 13. Oh, okay. so she's still, I mean, She's 13. I can't even imagine like navigating being a 13 year old and also trying to like figure out my identity. Um, Just for full transparency, I'm biracial as well. Um, My experience as far as like my parents, um, specifically my mom, because she's white, understanding this notion that like black lives do matter and race is actually an issue and we're not a post-racial society was really difficult for her. And I think, you know, remains a really difficult topic that's how I got my name harmony actually is because she wanted harmony between the races so I think that she is so just caught up on this idea of being colorblind and race doesn't matter that she really didn't teach me about you know my own blackness in that regard and then on the opposite side I had a dad who was super super radical and black um, and proud to be black he was a reason why the Oxford riots started after Dickie Merrill was killed he was originally a part of the Wilmington 10 um, but basically everybody that was there said go back because he would have been considered AWOL. Um, so he was in Vietnam at the time and, you know, went back to post. So it was, it's, it, I can't imagine being 13 and trying to navigate this in this way, because when I was 13, we still had social media, but it wasn't to the degree that it is now. Um, and I don't know about you, BJ, or you, Leslie, but I swear to you, when I turned 13, I feel like I lost my mind, yeah. <laughs> like overnight. <laughs> so complicated time of life for sure and then yes oh my goodness all the other madness um yeah we're we're fortunate uh that we can have um uh you know i i guess some uh we can have conversations some of them are not very wordy but i think we have uh (laughs) We're, we're engaged with a smart person, so mm-hmm. we're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. And you know, her school is um, really engages around this as well. So I just feel really lucky about that too. Um, but, and she, she may be kind of overhearing or not, I'm not sure. Um, but, um, you know, I think as I alluded or mentioned earlier, I just think there's some sort of maybe feeling of uh, some oversaturation that she's now like pushed back on. Um, you know, I would say my, I, I'm very, I feel very fortunate to have studied African-American studies in undergrad and like, um, 
be immersed in a lot of ideas that were countervailing to what is all around us and stuff. So, um, but it doesn't change the fact that I've grown up white and am highly influenced by the dominance of that. Um, I'm Jewish too, and that kind of like affects my whiteness, but I'm, you know, I've, I don't know, I've started to just be, recognize that I am white much more having moved to the South as I grew up in the North. Um, so, you know, it's just interesting and complicated, but our parenting and uh, parenting is always challenging. Yeah. Getting it right, right enough. <laughs> well, Leslie, I kind of want to go back to the fact you said, you know, you studied African studies and, and things like that. So I, I want to make sure I, I understand how that impacts how you communicate, you know, with your daughter, because you, you, you did have that stuff. But I want to also make sure of, of what I'm hearing, because my mother is 90, and she was teaching during segregation, and then there was integration. And so once it became integrated, the history became sanitized. Mm -hmm. about slavery. So I guess what I'm asking is it because you know the real history and so you're able to 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 communicate based on because you know the real deal. Kids today don't know even Andrew uh, at an earlier some of the stuff on the slave patrols he, he had kind of heard about it but because they don't teach that stuff in school even our black kids don't know the history. Yeah. So when you when you say that, are you saying you know the history? <laughs> I can say there's always more to know, learn, and understand. But um, but thanks to focusing on, on that in college, and then kind of self study afterwards, um, and grad school as mm -hmm. well. Um, I just. It is, um, I would say, the, the counter narratives um, that are the, you know, I'm a skeptic of the notion of truth, to be honest, but they are, but that clearly um, is the truer. <laughs> History is always going to, you know, be a distillation of things and you know what do you say and what are you not saying and things like that so um but you know to know um so much more from other perspectives than the white dominant history tellers i think has i i i feel like a lot of gratitude about that exposure um cool I mean, and that, I mean, that's awesome. I think we can almost end on that because I think for me, what's happening now is people are getting exposed to history. They're like, oh, oh, you know what I'm saying? Because they weren't, they didn't know. Yeah. And, and not sometimes not to a fault of their own, but just the way, you know, it's, it's, uh, harmony, it's just systemic. I mean, the school, you're, not edu you're not even educated about the, the, the history of, of, of black folks or just just history in itself. So now folks are going, oh, okay, now, now we know, or now we're becoming more 
I mean, I was just listening to something on Data T. They're talking about all these books, these anti-racist books, history about you know racism, all Black history. I mean, they're like flying off the shelf now, hmm. you know, right. because because people, people are like, oh, that's that's good stuff, and we need to know, and it's going to help this movement. So if if nothing else, I think it's it's knowledge is power. Yeah, knowledge yeah. is power, and then people can understand you know, why the conversation is the way. The conversation is, and I think also that has an impact on law enforcement. We're talking about young, young, young individuals who don't understand why a black person in a black community is looking at you sideways because they come from the space of they can't trust the system. So if you don't understand why they're looking at you all crazy, then that 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 you're coming from you're just starting out wrong because you you're thinking of something else when it's years of oppression. But if you understand why they're looking at you that way, then it kind of helps that stuff. So, yeah. So, look, I, I really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to hang out with us and, and give us input and insight to, to, to you and, and, and your family. Uh, Drew, you got anything as we get ready to say goodbye? I just thank you for coming and talking to us. I learned a lot about y'all's family and your insight as well, too. So thank you. Appreciate it. Harmony? You guys. Yeah, it was really nice to hear um, just just a different experience that another biracial girl is is growing up with. So I'm I'm happy to know that you know you guys affirm her blackness and are also you know having giving her the space to both experience being 13, but also you know doing your best to insulate her as much as possible. I think that that's you know what parents should be doing and and something that parents of black and brown kids really struggle with. So. You are not alone in this struggle, and I think that you're doing great. Thanks, you guys. Yeah, thanks for coming. You guys got any parting words, any words of wisdom for us? <laughs> I just really appreciate what you guys are doing here. Um, more power to you, and thank you for inviting us. Um, that's very humbling. I appreciate it, and it's great to have you as a neighbor, BJ. <laughs> Thank you. You guys make it easy, so I appreciate it. <laughs> you've been great, BJ. And Harmony and Andrew, I've listened to a couple of podcasts uh, that you, you all have done and um, just really gives me a lot of hope. Uh, thank you very much. And thanks for your compelling questions um, tonight. Uh, it's going to make us think about a lot of things. Uh, and also, just want to recognize that I came here uh, 30 years ago and uh, mm. 31 years ago for college. And it's, uh, I want to just recognize the people who made it possible for me to exist in this country as a Black person and still be alive. I'm very thankful. Oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks again for coming. And for those of you listening, thanks for listening to You and 5 My name is BJ Council. Uh, check us out on the website at UN5-O.com. And uh, check out our Facebook, Instagram, and I think Twitter maybe, but, you know. And thanks to our team, Chris Downey, our producer, and Abby Bradadich. And uh, she's heading on her way down to Texas on this particular, she wasn't able to join us tonight. She's uh, going to her sister's wedding. So hopefully, Abby, you're having a safe trip. So thanks again. As always, stay safe, stay well. Peace. <laughs>